12:18. There is one who speaks rashly, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15:4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18:6-7 and verse 21. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 26, 17 to 28. A person is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog by the ears, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. A hateful person disguises himself with his speech and harbors deceit within. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. The one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lion tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. This is the reading of the word. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Would you join me to pray this morning? Father, thank you that you hear all of the desires of our heart. You know everything about us, Lord. As the psalmist says, there's not a word on my tongue that you don't already know it before it was spoken. You know my rising and my sitting. Even before I'm about to move around, you already know what I'm about to do. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't understand it. But even when I awake, I'm still with you. You're still with me. Your hands, they guide me. Lord, we come to you, I come to you as a people who... Our words are not always edifying. Often they're not. And we ask for forgiveness for that. I ask for your forgiveness for that. And I pray this morning that you would instruct us, Jesus, and that you would not just instruct us, you would actually indwell us and fill us in such a way that our speech brings healing and life to others around us. We need you for this, Holy Spirit. As you also agree with that prayer, can you just take a moment to be still and silent and ask for that same longing of your own soul? And now as you're here with us, Jesus, I pray that in no way would my words be in the way of what you want to say to your beloved this morning. I ask this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Al. If we haven't already met, I have the privilege on most weeks of sharing from Scripture. And 
As Nia mentioned, we only have a few weeks left in this series in the book of Proverbs that we've been calling Wisdom's Guide to the Good Life. And in these past few weeks, or these last few weeks that we have together, we're dealing with wisdom as it relates to our relationships. Um, If you ever have had any kind of friendship or roommate or family member or significant other, you know that you need wisdom in your relationships, don't you? And so next week, my very good friend Dave Lomas from Reality SF is going to be here to talk about wisdom and sexuality. I highly recommend you not missing that. He's super gifted at conveying, especially this message. And then um, last week, we talked about wisdom as it relates to listening which means that today we want to talk about the most mentioned theme in Proverbs. In fact, around 90 Proverbs are attributed to this topic. Proverbs mentions this topic more than money, sex, family, friendships, anything else. And it's the theme of wisdom as it relates to our words as it relates to our conversation. And according to Proverbs, if we're to live wisely, if we're to live in the good life, we need to learn how to use our words wisely. And maybe you're wondering, well, why so much focus on words in Proverbs? Well, as we've been saying, that Proverbs or wisdom is more than just intellectual intelligence, IQ. Wisdom is emotional intelligence. It's the EQ that we all need to live lives that are well. It's proficiency in the right paths in the puzzles of life. That's wisdom. Becoming proficient in the right paths to take when life is puzzling. That's really what wisdom is. And if you're to travel the right relational paths, you need to become wise in your words. Last Saturday, my 11-year-old daughter and I, Charlotte, we were stranded in California while my wife and our other two girls boarded a plane to come back to Boston. Our names weren't on, on the, uh, the docket, apparently. And so uh, we found a couple of flights that left that night at 8 p.m. I rented a car at San Diego Airport, and we drove all the way up to Burbank, and what should have been a three-hour drive became a -a five-and-a-half-hour drive. But if you include In-N-Out, maybe a six-hour drive. (laughs) And there were so many complications that day. It was a hard day. My daughter, Charlotte, was tired and sad, and she missed mommy. And as we got to the airport, we finally sat in our seats at Burbank around 7 p.m. after a lot of rushing around, she was starting to draw, and she just started to do what she enjoys doing, which is draw. And finally, when they called our group to board, the woman next to Charlotte turned to her and said, you're so talented. I was just watching you draw and thinking, you're such a great artist. And, you know, after getting over the, wow, what a creepy thing to do. Um, (laughs) We then boarded the plane, and Charlotte said, thank you. And then we boarded the plane, and we walked past her. We had to walk past her because she was in first class, and we were not. And so we... (laughs) We walked past her, and she looked at my daughter, and she said, don't stop drawing. Keep going. You got a talent there. And (laughs) I don't know how many times my wife and I have said the very same thing to her, but for my daughter, the fact that somebody outside of her circle would speak to her talent, use their words and say, you're really gifted. You're really special at this. Keep going. That was a powerful component to her. So anyone who says, well, I don't really care what people say, is only half right. 
I mean, on the one hand, when you're creating art, let's say you're an artist, you don't want to do it for the sake of approval, do you? That's not why you create art. You create art because it's beautiful to you and you can bring beauty to the world. On the other hand, how long can you go about creating art if you only ever hear, you're really terrible at this. You don't have skill. You're never going to amount to much. You should do something else. There's no future for you. If you only hear those words, it's very difficult for you to continue on your artistic path. Words from the outside matter. Those words impact us just as much, if not more than the positive words we hear, don't they? I can hear some compliments, maybe during the course of my day or my life, but I hear a few different critiques, and those are the things that really stand out to me for some particular reason. Maybe that's just something that's off in me, but I have to say that we may not have known it at the time, but we've heard words spoken over us that still largely shape who we are. We're still fighting to get out of that hole. Why we do things the way we do them, why we're driven or not driven, or why we hold to particular values that we do. A lot of times when you unpack those, it's something that we heard. It's a message that we received. It's a narrative of our youth that really affected and impacted us. At 42, I still find myself at times operating from a damaged self-worth from words spoken over me in high school. What's more unsettling is how many times my words have damaged others. Either knowingly or unknowingly. And if you or I am honest, we know our words are not always wise. They're not always healing words. In fact, our message is more than just our verbal construct. What we say with words is just a half of the message, maybe less. One study said that words account for 7% of your communication. Tone of voice counts for 38%. And nonverbal facial expression, gestures, and posture counts for 55% of your communication. The Proverbs have this saying, life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's what the Proverbs tell us about words. Words have the ability to kill or heal. Words matter in our lives. And you and I need to hear good words over us. That's what the gospel actually is about. And we need to give good words to others. And scripture says that we're to glorify God in our body. 1 Corinthians 6. And Proverbs says, well, glorifying God with your body starts with your tongue. Words have the power to kill or heal. So for our time together, I just want to split up those, that phrase into two. So first I want to look at communication that kills. There's an Instagram feed that I often laugh at out loud. I LOL too. It's called How to Be a Dad. And if you are a parent, you get this next quote. Because it's one of the most honest posts that have come from a parent. And it asks, can you die from conversation? Because my daughter has been talking to me for three hours straight and it feels like I can die from it. <laughs> Any parent relate? Yeah, if you got a toddler, if you never had a toddler, then you're out. You can't talk. My words just killed. So toddler conversation is not the kind of conversation that Solomon is talking about in the Proverbs. 
And it's interesting that Solomon, who's considered the wisest man in all of history, would say, you are not wise unless you fully grasp the power of your words. Words can heal or they can kill. In fact, in 1218, he likens our words to a sword. He says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Solomon is dramatically portraying how powerful our speech is. And he says, reckless words are not something to be taken lightly. They have the power to pierce as fierce as any sword can. What are reckless words? These are the words that we say without thinking. These are our impulsive words that aren't checked by self-control. And I don't know about you, but... For me, I'm especially likely or vulnerable to speak reckless words when my defenses are at their lowest, when I'm tired or when I'm stressed or when I'm irritated, particularly for me when I'm afraid, when I'm feeling put out, when I'm feeling used or ill or disrespected. That's when I tend to speak reckless words. I've used reckless words with coworkers when I felt controlled. I've used reckless words with my friends when I felt abandoned. I've used reckless words with my wife when I felt afraid that my interests would be compromised. I've used reckless words with my children at times when I've said things like, why can't you ever pick up your own mess after yourself? I'm actually infusing in her this idea that, oh, I can never, I guess I'm just always messy. Words pierce like swords. They get into your heart and your soul. And when you hear or say a hurtful word, you can't reverse it as if you had never uttered it or it had never been uttered to you. That's just like a sword. If a sword goes into your flesh, you can probably find healing, but the scar will remain. The hole will still be there in some ways. It's like the wound from a sword. And the wound might heal, but your body will never be the same. Reckless words can ruin your reputation and they can ruin the reputation of other people. And sadly, some of you or many of us in this room have been at the other end of having our reputations compromised because of the reckless words of others. They can make it hard for you to trust others or for others to trust you again. In fact, Proverbs 18 goes further and says that words can even kill Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, words have been triggers for murders, for suicides, for actual wars. Words also kill psychologically. You call a child stupid or worthless, and that person will likely spend the rest of their lives trying to rid themselves of the self-doubt that was implanted to them by the ones who should have cared for them. Why? Because words designed to hurt are like toxic chemicals. Once they get into the ground or the soil of our soul, they just pollute everything. You remember the playground mantra, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That person sat on a throne of lies. (laughs) Pure lie. Words will hurt me far longer than sticks or stones. Why? Because words that kill may not kill physically, but they do pierce the soul and kill connection relationally. 
In fact, today's reading from Proverbs 25 gives us a few different examples of words that kill connection. Verse 18 of chapter 26 describes deceptive words, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, ah, I was just joking. You caught me. I was only, I was only kidding. Deceptive words, little white lies. Gossip, chapter 26, verse 20, and 22 through 23, says, without, wor- without wood, fire goes out. Without gossip, conflict dies down. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. And smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. This is the person who likes to criticize people behind their back and putting them in the worst light. Gossip kills our connection. You know what the goal is for your relationships? The goal is when you confront somebody about a wrong done. The goal when you talk to somebody about uh, an area of conflict. If your goal is not connection, then you really have no business doing it. And this is a way, gossip, to kill connection because it secretly creates a negative narrative about the person that I'm talking about. Brash words also kill connection or it's conversation that kills. Verse 21 of chapter 26, as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. This is the kind of person who loves debate for the sake of debate. This is a person who stirs up conflict. She or he gives criticism all too readily and is always seeming to be in the middle of an argument with somebody else. Both the critic and the gossip have the same agenda, always, to put somebody in their place, to put somebody else down in order to build themselves up. And the proverb refers to this person as contentious. And if they're present, it's like piling new charcoal on top of a fire that you want to die down, on top of a wildfire in the midst of a forest somewhere. And when this person shows up, they just throw more charcoal on the flame. Also, flattering words kill. Chapter 26, verse 23. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. Flattery is a form of lying. It really is. Lying to get what I really want. And so I put this person as a, in a positive light. Unfortunately, many of the people, it seems, on American Idol have been flattered for a lot of their life. If someone would have just spoken the truth in love at some point and said, please, son, don't do it. However, the silver here that's spoken of this beautiful jar, it's only paper thin. And once you penetrate the inside of the jar, you see that the silver goes away and gives way to ordinary clay. The surface gives the illusion of a completely silver vessel, but that's not the reality. The same is true of a person who has smooth, flattering speech, but their only intention is self-gain. Words that kill include bitter words. Chapter 26, verse 24. A hateful person disguises himself or herself with their speech and harbors deceit within. When they speak graciously, don't believe them. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is concealed by deception, his evil will be revealed in the assembly. Notice that the root of bitterness becomes the kind of speech that's 
an abomination to the Lord. It's offensive to Yahweh in the utmost. Now this does not mean that we shouldn't be honest about our feelings that we're, that we're having. But when I do have hate or bitterness in my heart, I begin to use those words as a form of confession to another, another trusted companion. Confession and repentance is some of the most healing words that you can find in your life. Lying words are also a form of words that kill. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. It seems most likely that the proverb is warning that though such people may successfully hide their harmful intentions in private, they're just waiting to go public in order to turn their speech against others to harm them. And how many of us have never lied before, told even a little white lie, right? Even uh, John Mayer's new song is about how everyone is lying. No one's telling the truth. And he said, I guess I just feel like I'm the same way too. Very honest. Words are so important that James says in his New Testament letter, those who consider themselves religious, spiritual, and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Well, you might say, well, I'm just going to have to be more careful about what I say then. That's not enough, really. There's a reason why I lie. The reason why I flatter. There's a reason why I gossip. There's a reason why I spread bitterness sometimes in my own speech. The reason is because Jesus said, it's what's in my heart. Make a good tree good, Jesus said, to the religious leaders who were saying, ah, this guy, he's a fake. Jesus says, well, make a good tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Or literally, you snakes. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good thing, things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings out things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Jesus says that there's a reason why you lie. There's a reason why you slander or gossip or spread bitterness or you flatter. You may say that you believe a certain thing, but you're really looking to someone else or something else to be your functional savior in that moment. So you and I might both fudge the truth, right? Maybe, for example, I'll say, I'm sorry, I can't go to this event because I have a pre-existing thing, when in fact I really don't. But why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because I'm afraid that you're going to disapprove of me. Afraid that you won't like me. And in that moment, what really matters to be more than honoring God with my words is something that's deep in my soul, which is being approved by people. Or maybe you just don't care what people think, and so you speak harshly. I would never go to that. Whatever it might be, it's coming from within. And you can apply the same thing to the way that we apply ourselves to money or our relationships or our sexuality. I have the choice. Am I going to honor God in this particular way or will I not? And the reason why I don't 
It's because it's what's inside of the heart. And that's why some of the most, as I said, reviving words that we can speak are words of repentance and confession. It's a gift to the church. And matter of fact, it's why we pray a prayer of confession every morning before we even begin our time together. When you confess, you're saying the same thing about your own idolatry and your own functional saviors other than Jesus as God is saying about them. And you're speaking words of reality. You're calling it like it is. And you're saying, here's the real problem, the real source of struggle in my life, Jesus. And I'm sorry for that. And I don't want that anymore. And I want to turn from what is actually harming me. And I want to turn to real life. It's why the psalmist prays, let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, God. Let the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's why the Apostle Paul reminds us to meditate on whatever is true and pure and lovely and worthy, to think continually on these things, which is found in Scripture, because my mind has to be continually baptized in truth. Otherwise, what flows out of my heart is often... Saturated with lies. Lies about who I am or who I'm not. Lies about who you are or who you're not. Lies about who God is and who God is not. We live in a dry and weary land where there's no water, no life-giving words, very few. And the words that you hear thousands of times a day that are coming to you in advertisements, they're all meant to tell you you're not enough. You will never be enough until you find this particular product. And so we need words over us. We need good words spoken over us to reform our souls. These souls that have been dislocated and pierced through with swords. And the words that we've used as swords to pierce other. Well, so what's the communication that heals then? Can I get the clock flowing upward, please? Communication that heals says, there's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, reckless words kill. Wise words heal. The question I need to ask myself when I'm in conversation continually is, what's the experience I'm trying to create? What's the experience I'm trying to create here? And guess what? That's a lot harder than it sounds. Am I just trying to convey my emotion or am I trying to, like, bridge actual connection? Remember that death and life are found in the power of the tongue. And in the Bible, life is created through words. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the words of God so that what's seen might not, uh, was not made out of the things that are visible. Most of Jesus' words or most of his miracles happened through his words. Jesus spoke and a lame man walked. Jesus spoke and lepers were healed. He spoke and storms stopped. He spoke and dead men came out of graves. Except for one occasional miracle where he spits in the, in the, into the mud and wipes them on a man's eyes, which is a whole other story. Almost every one of Jesus' miracles were about spoken words. And you know what? We're made right by God, with God, our salvation, our our transformation happens as we believe words. Abraham believed the word of God and was righteous as a result. 
It's by believing the words of the gospel, the good news that's been announced that there's a new king and he's good and loves you and he's creating his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that we are saved. The gospel comes to us as an announcement about words of Jesus, that he's Lord and he's accomplished all on our behalf that was required for us to be righteous and whole. And when we believe the words of that announcement, we're born again, forgiven, washed clean. Our transformation happens by reflecting on words in Scripture. We don't live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that comes forth from the mouth of God. The point is that God's power lies in his words. They give life. And in the same way, because we're created, because you're created as an imago Dei, an image bearer of God, Solomon says, your words have the power of life and death too. Speaking is one of the unique features of being created in God's image. And they have the power to kill or to heal. Again, Proverbs 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. The tongue can be a tree of life, and words are like fruit or food for us. We need them to live by. You can remember, most of us can remember even years later, passages from a book or words that were told to us from a friend or a teacher that turned the light on, that implanted new ideas of who we could be or who we were meant to be that you haven't forgotten. I have a file in my email that's prophetic good words and I take every email that I've ever received in the last seven years that's an encouraging word and I file it there so I can come back and remember this is who I am, this is who God has made me to be. We need words from the outside to affirm and validate who we are. Other times we need not just words that are encouraging, we need words that are exhorting, yet liberating. Look at Proverbs 25. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A friend of mine is a therapist, a counselor. I visit with her quite often. And um, this person knows how to give a gentle word in such a way that it just breaks my bone. It breaks the strong parts of me that wants to be obstinate and wants to go against what is real and what is true. We need that gentle but truthful word of a friend to break us and to build us back up. You want a friend in your life to tell you when your zipper is down, which has happened to me on more than two occasions here. You want a friend who will tell you when you have, when you have some arugula in your teeth. And you want a friend who will tell you when you've got some arugula on your soul. <laughs> I tried. I tried, to la I tried to last it for a bit, but I knew that was crumbling. Uh, that your zipper's down on your soul? Your soul zipper's down. Bam. Thank you, Jesus. You want to be that friend as well. And in our culture, friendship often involves mutual encouragement towards sin, towards compromise. Well, right, I know. Everybody struggles with that. Rather than, verse 27, verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. 
Do you have any idea of the great power even your offhand words have to bless or to build others up? But we're often afraid to speak honest words, kind words, encouraging words, or exhorting words for fear that I might not be accepted, I might not be liked. When was the last time you saw this power in your life or somebody else's life? I bet you it was beautiful. People around you are eager for and desirous of words of blessing and affirmation from you. I'm often distracted and too much to deliberately praise or encourage or appreciate everyday people around me. So the question that you have to ask yourself, and I do too, is today, will my words kill or heal? I want to give you a recipe for words that heal. Social media has created a culture of monologue, hasn't it? Rather than dialogue. My friend Dave and I were talking about this last night. I think we've forgotten how to have honest dialogue in front of another face-to-face so that I can tell this person in a gentle way we can share our hearts and not just our words. And on social media, we're so accustomed to just sharing our thoughts and our words rather than sharing the other person's heart. Proverbs 16 says, intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is often more persuasive. So what's the recipe for connective communication? Words that heal a relationship. I'm going to give you a few that Proverbs mentioned. We're going to go fairly fairly quickly. They'll be on the slides on our website and our sermon page. First, truthful words. Proverbs 12 and 17. It's important to begin saturating your mind with what is true. As I said, lately we've been in such a like area of faith as a family that fear can creep in so easily for me. And I need someone like my wife, Nina, to tell me, you have to think on what's true right now. And not just thinking on what's true, but speaking truthfully. Many of us are afraid to speak truthfully. It's easier to meander around the real truth. You spend much time in Boston, though, that might cure you. That's a help right there. (laughs) Kind words. Proverbs 12, verse 25. Please go and look these up later. I would recommend you actually spend some time this week examining these, even writing them down on a three-by-five card and memorizing them. Gentle words. Proverbs 15, 1. See, it's not enough for me to come in and speak truthfully if I'm piercing you with a sword at the same time. It's the way I speak it. It's how I come to you. It's the heart and the tone and the facial language that is communicating. Apt words, words that are appropriate for the moment. Timely words. I'm not just going on and on. I'm actually choosing my words carefully, speaking them at the right time. Calm words. And forthright words. Now, all of these are necessary for words that bring healing and connection. But for our purpose today, I want to give you the tools that are necessary to deal with a particular part of communication. And that is your difficult communication. Your conflict. Anybody have conflict in their life? Yeah, nobody raised their hand. You are all lying. Norman Wright says, communication is the privilege of exchanging vulnerabilities. By the way, vulnerable means open to wounds. Therefore, great communication is always risky and often painful before it gets really good. 
He says also, communication is the process of sharing yourself verbally and non-verbally in such a way that the other person can both accept and understand what you're saying. Many times we do things unintentionally and it completely shuts down the communication process. I don't know about you, but this is true for me. We could be saying one thing, but my body, my presence, my face, tone of voice, and my eyes communicate something entirely different. The truth is that most of us did not grow up with models where people communicated clearly and well. Most of us did not grow up with communication that is both honorable and honest. I want you to understand that the presence of conflict in your relationships is not necessarily a sign of failure. Sometimes it comes from honest differences of belief or perspective or style. And of course, it sometimes comes from selfishness and I have to face that. But conflict in my relationships, if they're approached wisely and honorably, if I'm actually sharing my heart and my words, and it can actually make the, the relationships even more strong than it ever was before. You know this in your friendships or your relationships. So what would it look like for our conversations and our conflict to become means of healing? One teacher says, healing conversations can only happen when we share our hearts and our words. How do we do that? I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you an, an acronym, but for the sake of time, I can't spend much time on it. And the acronym is something that I have needed this past week. And I just wanted to give you an acronym because it's easier to remember. And I'm not a fan of acronyms, but it works. So the way that we diffuse conflict is learning how to diffuse in our conversation. And um, I'm just going to put it up on the screen, and I'm going to quickly read through it. Because these are the components that's required in our conversation if they're going to create connection. D stands for defining the problem. Defining the problem on your own before you try to withdraw from or attack the person in front of you. You pray, you write down, you think about it. I is initiating the time to talk. The Proverbs talk about using words timely. F is for focusing on the problem and not the person. Not bringing up personality or family. I, I'm learning how not to do this. Describe how you perceive the problem. F is for feeling the other person's pain as if it's your own. Understanding where they're coming from in order to be an agent of grace. U is for uncovering the root symptom, whatever the argument is. There's an underlying issue that you need to deal with, things like money and loyalty and goals and roles and sex and power. S is for setting things right between you. It's important that you say, here's my part in it. I confess my particular place in this conflict or this situation. And E is for now establishing a plan. Here's what I'm, like, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's my request. If I just poke at a particular issue and I don't have an actual request, I'm actually really not ready to create connection. So here's now, as I I'm just want to say these final things. Maybe some of you are thinking, okay, so I'm just going to speak in ways that Proverbs recommends now. True words, apt words, economical, timely. When it comes to conflict, I'm going to really try to do it the right way. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take an inventory nightly. I'm going to really do it right. But Willpower is not going to be enough for you. Jesus said it's not enough. Willpower is not enough. Just trying isn't enough. Proverbs says, and Jesus says, ultimately the only thing that can heal your words is a change of what fills your heart. 
Jesus says, all your mouth problems come from what's filling your heart. They're all heart problems. Well, what's in the heart? What is the heart? It's not the seat of your emotions. The heart is actually the control center for your entire acting self. It's what you most hope for, what you most love. It's what really gives you meaning and significance. And Jesus says, out of the overflow of that is where all of our problems come. You know where the answer lies? Remember Acts chapter 2, when they're all gathered around and they're all praying? And Jesus has gone to the cross already and he's already been resurrected and with them has ascended to heaven. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon them? What's the image or the symbol? A flaming tongue. It's representative that their tongues will be healed, that they'll begin to speak to one another when they're filled with the Spirit in such a way that's bringing life to one another to where people who typically aren't from the same race or background or culture can now understand one another. They're on the same level because they're speaking words of love. They're filled with the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of self-centeredness. And it's the reversal of Babel because you remember what's happening at Babel. What's happening at Babel? Every person is trying to make a name for themselves. Every person is bent on their own success, building their tower. And as a result, it's a breakdown at the baseline parts of their communication with one another. Acts chapter 2 tells us when we're filled with the Spirit, we begin to speak in a way that's completely controlled by Jesus, who it was said of, no one ever spoke like this man What grace and truth he speaks with. Go and look at how Jesus speaks in the gospel this week. It will transform your soul. He wasn't just a great example of speaking. He was more than that. Jesus was the logos, the word. He's the final word, Hebrews tells us. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the whole dictionary. And Jesus Christ is the only word that can heal our word hunger. When he's baptized by the Father at the time of his baptism, God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And you know what happens on the cross? On the cross when Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing the silent treatment of God, the Father, so that you and I can hear words of affirmation and say, I am the one who's now, because I'm in Christ, I am delighted by the Son. I'm delighted by the Father. I'm filled by the Spirit. And he now wants me to speak in such a way because it just reflects the one who's indwelling me. There's new power that's residing in you who are followers of Jesus. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he's now knocking on your heart and saying, I want to speak words that heal you. And I want to empower you to speak words that heal others. Let's go to him now in the Lord's Supper and receive this power, this healing word from God. Thank you, Father.